Matthew 25, and then Luke 16. Luke 16 is the other one. But Matthew 25, verse 24 says this, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Let me catch you up. This is the parable in the Bible when an owner of many properties was going out of town and he left his servants three amounts. He left one five talents, one two talents, and one one talent. You guys have heard that story before. And the one who was responsible for five talents, he invested it and doubled his money. By the way, if you are an investment broker here at Destiny Church and you have the ability to double money, I would love to speak to you after this service. Right now, anything over 10% increase is a pretty good investment. So if you can double it, let's talk. But he took five, turned it to 10. The one with two turned it to four. But the one who won, we buried it in the ground and barely returned what was given. Here's what he said. He said, I was afraid. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered the seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. What kind of investment is a bank? It's like 0.0003%. He's like, you could at least got me three pennies on my money. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Luke 16.9 says this. It says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, but he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust true riches? If you have been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We say, what a mighty God we serve. And angels bow before you. Heaven and earth adore you. God, you're a great God. You're not just a great God far off. You're a great God who's here dwelling in our midst, desiring to speak to us and transform us. God, I say over these few minutes that we have together that you would speak to us. And when you speak, we will obey. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Come on, Baltimore. Somebody shout amen. I, uh, I remember my first real job. Now, I I was working from 13, but those were jobs that uh, I wasn't filing taxes on and probably legally didn't have, but I've been working. Anybody you've been working as long as you've been walking, like you just realize, I got to hustle, man. I got to get some stuff done. But my first real job, I worked for Foot Locker Incorporated. 
I was a sales associate at the Owens Mills Mall. Come on, Baltimore, what do y'all know about Owens Mills Mall? It doesn't even exist anymore. They tore it down, tore it down and made like an outdoor shopping center or whatever it may be. But I remember the day of my interview, I was so excited. It was literally my first like real interview and it was at 8.30 in the morning and I showed up at 7.45. I was like so nervous that I was going to oversleep. I, I mean, I had my siblings like mock interview me. I had my khaki pants on and my college shirt. I was going to get this job at Foot Locker. I was ready to rumble. I get there at 745. There was somebody that, that was interviewing at 8 o'clock, but I knew I had him beat. His shirt was crushed. Like, I, I mean, I just knew I had it. I go into the interview at 830 and interview with the manager. At the end of the interview, the manager goes, so when can you start? And I was like, uh, I don't, tomorrow, uh, today, uh, I don't got nothing to do. <laughs> he says, well, I don't have a shirt for you today, but show up tomorrow at 8.30 and you have the job. I later found out that I had the job when he saw that I showed up first. I was like, come on now, that's how early bird gets the worm. What did they say? Now, great for me, I got a job. Not great for that manager, there was a horrible hire. What he did not realize is he hired someone that had zero sales experience. He hired a 16-year-old that was an ultra introvert and did not speak to many people. Now, when it came to folding t-shirts on the t-shirt table, your boy was bad. Like, it's so funny how different things shape you. To this day, I won't let my wife fold my T-shirts because she doesn't do it, right? I said, babe, I got this. I, I have been imprinted in my soul how to fold from those years working at Foot Locker. But three weeks go by, and I'm telling you all, that T-shirt table at the front of our store was flawless. Now, I didn't speak to too many people. I didn't sell too many shoes, but I was there on time. I left late, it was a clean store, I was a good employee in my mind. About three weeks in, my manager pulls me aside and he said, Stephen, we have a problem. And I'm like, what in the world, what's the problem? I'm showing up early, I'm staying late, the t-shirts are, are, are flawless, what's the problem? He said, Stephen, you're not speaking to people. I said, I've noticed that. <laughs> so here's the problem, Stephen, if you don't speak to people, they don't ask for shoes. Yeah, I've noticed that. Well, if they don't ask for shoes, they, they don't buy shoes. And if they don't buy shoes, you don't work here anymore. I said, oh, you didn't explain it like that. Y'all, within two weeks, Stephen Chandler was transformed. All of a sudden, people walked through that door. I was like, CDs, DVDs, I got what you need, precious. I turned into a hustle man outside the barbershop. What you got, what you need. I, listen, how many people know I learned how to hustle? People will come in and say, hey, y'all got those Air Force Ones? We've been sold out of Air Force Ones for four weeks. But hey, they put me on commission. They said, oh, if you don't sell, you don't eat. So I went back there, got me some Adidas shell heads, came back out, and I said, listen, Air Forces are so played out, people don't even wear those anymore. Shell heads. This is what the whole world is wearing. The 11-year-old's like, no, I want forces. Mom's like, I'm tired of looking for forces. You're getting some shell heads. I'm ringing up the, their Adidas shell heads. I said, listen, we got some beautiful T-shirts, four for $5. You need some of these. And look, they're 11. They're dirty. You need some of this soap that's going to clean the shoes. It's the same thing as the soap you got in the kitchen, but it's in a Foot Locker bottle, so it makes it official. I'm upselling, I'm learning why, because he explained it in a way that I understood. That if you don't figure this out, you ain't gonna eat. It's amazing how money will transform us. It's amazing how you introverts will become extroverts. 
You extroverts will become introverts. You will do whatever you have to do to land that paycheck. Because there's something about money that plays such an integral part of our lives. There's something about money that, for some reason, it's an awkward conversation for so many people. Especially when it comes to church. Literally, as soon as I said unrighteous madmen, some of y'all were like, oh. Where's my wallet? Ooh, left it in the car. Can't get me today. <laughs> because there's just like this skepticism when it comes to church and money or God and money. Now, we want God's wisdom in building a great marriage. We want God's wisdom in fulfilling our destiny. We want God's wisdom when it comes to raising children. But for some reason, when it comes to finances, we're just like, oh, I don't trust you. And let me just be real. I understand some of the mistrust. Some of the mistrust is what I've seen, especially in church. It'd be manipulated so much, and it'd be all about the money. So I want nothing to do with that. Let me leave my notes. Can I be Stephen just for a second? I think one of the issues with us as believers is we don't understand that we are at war, that there is a spiritual war that is going on. Let's talk about America and the election, and I'm not going where you're going, so think about this for a second. They're concerned with the election that all these different countries are hacking into our system, and they're putting up all these false ads because they're trying to manipulate one of the greatest things about America, which is our democracy. Now, we get that they're enemies, and enemies are trying to weaken this nation, so they're going to attack our strength. But for some reason, we don't understand that we have an enemy in the kingdom of God, and he is going to attack what makes the church strong to try to weaken our system. So don't you think if the enemy knew the more money the kingdom of God has, the more people will meet Jesus, let me attack their money and make sure that they're weakened in that area so that the kingdom of God can't advance. But we get caught up in a person not understanding the Bible says you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it's the enemy that's putting this skepticism and manipulation in the process so that we can hide one of the greatest areas of stress in our life away from God. Statistics show over 72% of Americans are full of anxiety, stress when it comes to finances. Over 44% of Americans cannot put their hands on $1,000 in an emergency without touching a credit card. By the way, we is Americans, which means that's the situation in this room, in Baltimore, online. And hear me, God has hope. God has peace. God has a vision in this area. And it's more than just give more to God. That's not the extent of God's wisdom. So today, I want to conclude our out-of-order series by getting our finances back in order. I want to preach a message today called Benjamin Backwards. <laughs> I think for so many of us, we've gotten our finances, we've gotten our Benjamins backward. We have an adulterated Western mindset when it comes to interpreting Scripture. If I had time, I would explain to you how even as they were translating scripture, they would look at verses that said thief and manipulator, and they would translate it as rich. So as you read scripture and it says, hey, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than a rich man to get into the kingdom of God, it's not actually talking about an abundance of wealth. It's talking about people that cheat and are manipulators and all that, but because of our cultural perspective, we put a taint on scripture. Another way that we've looked at Scripture that is not true to Scripture is in the passage that I just read. 
with the five talents and the two talents and the one talent. For most of us, when we've heard that passage preached, we've heard the talents preached as the American definition of talent. We would say, for example, like Mandela is a five-talent worship leader. Stephen Chandler. Why are you laughing? What do you think? Am I a two-talent worship leader? One ta- Y'all know I was a worship leader at Destiny Church for the first two years, right? And we didn't grow. That's why I was fired. Anyway. <laughs> But we look at talent in kind of the American idol definition of some people are level nine, level five, level two, just work the talent that you have. Y'all, you can read that into the passage, but that's not what it says. A talent was a financial term. A talent was synonymous to dollar, yen, denarii, peso, whatever. It was a term of money. Actually, one talent was one year's wages. So here we are feeling sorry for the one-talent servant. Y'all, he got $52,000 cash in one sitting. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sorry for him at all. That one-talent servant got about $52,000 concerning the American medium household income. The two-talent servant was given $104,000, and the $260,000 was given to the five-talent servant. And the Lord said, hey, I'm going to allow you to manage this for me, and I'll return. One of the things that we have to understand is all the money that God's given us is to be managed for him. He's given us our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our time, our breath, our energy, and our income. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God, and he's called us to manage it on his behalf. But without his wisdom and understanding, it's going to cause outrageous stress in our lives. There's something about holiday season. I don't know if it's that life is slowing down, that we're beginning to thinking about gifts or whatever it may be. It may even be that the end of the year is coming and we're beginning to think, what do I have to show for 12 months of working a full-time job? But there's something about this season that financial stress is even compounded and even more so a source of stress. And hear me, that's not God's will for you. That's not God's best for you. But we need to know what his process is. Amen? What I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the three steps, the three steps to managing God in a godly order. The first thing is this, put God first. Put God first. If I am going to see God's favor and his blessings in my finances, I need to put him first. Anybody know why we go to church on Sunday? Like, I don't know if you realize this. It doesn't say go to church on Sunday in the Bible. Matter of fact, people have created an entire denomination around the fact that we should go to church on Saturday. You know why we go to church on Sunday? Because here in this nation that we live, Sunday is the first day of, it's that deep, (laughs) y'all. It's not theological at all. It is Sunday is the first day of the week, and we want to start our week with worship. Because without even realizing it, we're adhering to the principle that when we give God first, the rest is blessed. As you read through scripture, it says that our devotion should be in the first part of the morning. Now, I'm not super legalistic. If you have devotion during your lunchtime or during the evening or whatever it may be, it's not the end of the world, but you should spend at least 5, 10, 15 minutes every single morning before you get the kids dressed, before you pour your coffee and rush out the door, just spending God, dedicating your day unto God. 
thanking him for his health and his favor and his mercy. The Bible says early in the morning, I don't like that verse. It said early in the morning, my praises will rise to you. When I didn't have any kids, it was late in the morning. Now I got children, it's early. <laughs> it's not happy, but it's early. We give the first of our day to God. Most people, when they get married, they get married in a church. Even people, some people get married at a courthouse and say, Pastor, can you come marry us at the courthouse? I know the judge will do it, but I want a pastor. Why? Because we want God at the beginning of our union. We put God first in every other area of our lives. It just makes sense that he should be first in our finances. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says just, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. God says, when you put me first, I'm going to add everything onto you. Now, I wish, I told you I have an economics background. Building wealth is one of my passions. I wish I could start this message talking about compound interest and how if you would invest $250 in an investment account from 25 to 67, that it would be about $1.7 million by the time that you retire. If you would take $100 and put it into an investment account when your child is born, from zero to 25, you can hand them $120,000 when they turn 25 years old. I wish I could start there, but you got to start where the Bible starts. It starts with, hey, put God first. The first principle is tithing. What is tithe? The word tithe means a tenth. Giving God not just a tenth, but the first 10% of our income to God. Well, pastor, I don't see tithing in the New Testament. <laughs> tithing is an Old Testament principle. Don't play with me. Matthew 25, 23, it says this. Matthew, by the way, New Testament. <laughs> Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected, I love this, the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. Preach it with me. Somebody say justice and mercy and faith. Come on, Baltimore. Justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Here's what God said to the Pharisees. He said, you tithe and I'm not impressed. Because tithing is elementary things of the faith. He says, I'm hoping that you would get onto some weightier things like justice and peace and love for God. This has nothing to do with the message. This is just Stephen being shady. I am not surprised that the church has an issue with justice. And a lot of people, particularly this year, was like, how can the church get this wrong? Well, we've been getting tithing wrong for years. This is not indicative of Destiny Church. Destiny Church is one of the most generous churches I have ever encountered. But statistics show less than 20% of Bible-believing Christians tithe. If less than 20% of Bible-believing Christians can get what Jesus called elementary, it's, oh, y'all quiet up in this Methodist church. <laughs> like, I, you, you see y'all do that. You stare at me and then you provoke me. You're like, I just don't understand how the church can get this wrong. Well, we're getting a lot of stuff wrong. Not just the stuff that rubs us the wrong way. God says, listen, tithing is basic. It is elementary. 
Now, in Luke 16, he said this. He says, you cannot love both God and, the, and mammon. You have to pick. Can we talk about mammon for a second? Say, Pastor, go for it. But make it quick. Okay, here we go. This is literally, y'all, y'all going to seminary on this mammon stuff. Here we go. Mammon is the god of riches in the Syrian nation. Make sense? Now, the god of riches, Mammon, was not unique to the Syrians. They actually took it from a nation that they overthrew, which were the Babylonians. Somebody say Babylonians. You're you're having a history class right now. Babylonian nation started at the Tower of Babel back in the book of Genesis. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? It was when men said, hey, let's get together and let's build a tower to heaven. Let's go to heaven without God. Tracking? Babel means confusion. Lonian means founded or planted in. So Babylonian means foundationally confused. And the entire Babylonian mindset is, let's do God things and move God out of the way. Let's get from God but not need him involved. All that to say, can I tell you what the spirit of mammon is? The spirit of mammon is a spirit that says money can replace God. Mammon makes promises that only God can keep. You see, money promises you that if you have it, you'll feel happy. Money promises you that if you have it, you'll be safe. Money promises that if you have it, you'll be fulfilled. But hear me, those are not promises that money can keep. Money is writing checks that it can't cash. Because this here pandemic that we're in the middle of is no respecter of net worth. When it comes to contention and relationships, when it comes to anxiety and fear, yes, money is good. Money is not evil. You know, people say, money is the root of all evil. You don't read your Bible. I love Steve Harvey. He's like, listen, they say money is the root of all evil. Being broke is pretty evil too. (laughs) The Bible didn't say that money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Here's what God is saying. He said, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't have this mindset that money fixes all my problems and still love God because it doesn't work that way. What happens is tithing breaks the curse of mammon off of our life. Now, I may be getting too deep. You may just say, Pastor, I don't want to hear it. But just by faith, just say, Pastor, preach it. Come on. Sometimes you just got to just say stuff by faith. Come on, balls and boys. Somebody say, Pastor, preach it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Here we go. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, it says this. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And here's what God said. In the tithe, can I be just Stephen for a second, and impact offering. By the way, it's a setup. I knew it was. It is. If I told you we need this much money and I need you to give this much, you would either say yes or no because I'm nobody. But if I make you ask God and God speaks, I got you. Oh, I will. oh, I'm not new to this. Don't trip. I've been, <laughs> if I could get you to hear from God, God says, hey, I've spoken. Now you need to obey. And if you don't, you're robbing me. He said, you are cursed with a curse. Now, this is a funny passage for people who tithe. If you don't tithe, this isn't funny at all. But I tithe, so it's funny. He said, you are cursed with a curse. Here's my question, God. What else are you going to curse me with? 
you gonna curse me? He said, you are cursed with a curse. I thought this was the only curse there is, but I just thought that was funny. He said, you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So here's what God says. He said, tithing is not just optional. It is dependent on whether you are cursed or not. One of the reasons why we don't really tithe is because we don't understand the curse. Oh, I'm preaching. I'm having, y'all having fun? It's going to be fun to be in, I promise you. So Satan comes to Eve and said, what did God say? He said, don't eat from this tree because if you eat from the tree, you will die. Right? Tracking? They ate from the tree. Did they die? Not immediately. Gradually. And then they did die. And they never knew that they were supposed to live forever. So sometimes when things don't happen immediately, when consequences aren't immediate, we think we've avoided it. So when the Bible says if I don't tithe, then I'm cursed, and I haven't tithed in 10 years, but yet I still have a job, I have investments, I'm able to provide, I don't think that I'm cursed. But here's the thing, the Bible never said it was a financial curse. It just said it's a curse. Do you know what the curse that comes on you when you don't tithe is? It's the curse of fear. The spirit of man is not a financial curse, it's a curse of fear. Come on now. Like just have the inclination that you can lose your job and think about the physical response. Some of you did lose your job throughout this pandemic and when you first found out the nauseous that you felt, the heart palpitations, people are thrown into depression off of job loss. And without even realizing it, we don't realize there's a spirit of fear that grips our soul of if I can't provide, and I feel this unction of the Holy Spirit saying, you can't provide, then what? Then I don't exist anymore? Then I'm not still Jehovah Jireh, your provider? Here's what tithing does, is it settles in our heart. I'm not relying on God to provide for my, I mean, I'm not relying on my job to provide for my needs. I'm relying on God to provide for my needs. And this job is just a tool that God chooses to use in this season. And if this tool is removed, he's just going to bring another tool. And here's what happens when we live under a spirit of mammon. It's a spirit of fear. We're too afraid to take hold of God opportunities. So opportunities for entrepreneurship come up and we avoid them because of that spirit of fear. Promotion comes and we say, no, 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 I'm good right where I am. I like my life pattern. I think that's going to take me out away from my kids or whatever. So I'll avoid that, not realizing that those aren't real fears. It's the spirit that is resting on us. God is saying, as you put me first, I break you free from the hold that money has on you. And watch this, you're actually free to take hold of all that God has for you. Now, here's the problem. Here's, here's what you're not going to hear from a preacher. Somebody say preach it. That tithing is step one. And that if you tithe, that doesn't mean you will be blessed. Okay. First of all, why would you spend that much time on tithing if it ain't going to get me blessed? Second of all, what are you talking about? Because that's all I've ever heard preached. Come on now. That if I tithe, God will bless me. I got Bible for it, preacher. He said, give, and it'll be given back to you. Press down, shaking together, and running over, and the measure that you give, it'll be given back to you. First of all, that verse is talking about forgiveness. <laughs> Second of all, it said, give. You can't give a tithe. The only thing you can do with a tithe is return it. Because it was never yours in the first place. 
Malachi chapter 3, verse 11 says this, and if you tithe, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. Here's what tithing does is it breaks the curse off of our life and it keeps the enemy from stealing from us. But it does not grow anything that we have. Here's the economics background of the preacher that you have. It breaks my heart in church how we've been preaching one-third of a message. How tithing is not the whole process of God. It's the first step. And if you just take the first step and you don't take the other steps of the orders of God, you're not going to see the blessings of God. And then cynicism is going to sit in because you're going to say, God lied to me. I tell you, God never lied to you. It's just that somebody preached only one-third of the message. It's only step one. Step two is this. Have a plan and work it. Just because I feel the unction of the Holy Ghost, let me say it this way. If you tithe, but you do not have a plan, and you do not work it, you will not be blessed. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 says this. But don't begin until you count the cost. Come on, Baltimore. Somebody say count the cost. Like not, not, not biblically, like literally count. How much does this car cost? It says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if he has enough money to pay the bill? Otherwise, he might complete only the foundation before running out of funds and then how everyone would laugh. Now, that's the line there that jacks us up with money. We're afraid of people laughing at us. We're afraid of people looking sideways at us if we don't drive a great car. We're afraid of people looking funny at us if our clothes aren't name brand or if we don't live in a certain part of town or if we ask for help. So when it comes to our finances, we kind of are just super secretive and don't want anybody to know and anybody to say anything. And unfortunately, us men, we tend to be the prime suspects. I got this. I'm a provider. I'm good. I don't need your help. Can I tell you what it really is? Most of us did not leave our homes with any type of financial education. Most of us, when we walked out at 18, maybe you walked out at 21, 25, 40, whenever you left. <laughs> Please leave. <laughs> Most of us, when we walked out, our financial education was something like this. Work hard. Pay your bills. Enjoy life. You know what I mean? Sometimes it might have been a little bit deeper. Hey, invest. They might have thrown out weird numbers, 401K, Roth, 403B, or whatever it may be. But we didn't really leave with an education on, on how. that you, you did leave with, let me tell you how to take care of a man. Let me teach you how to keep a woman happy. But they didn't tell you how to manage your money. By the way, you can't take care of a man or keep a woman happy if you don't know how to manage your money. It don't work. So hear me, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just something for us to seek wisdom. How do I manage this? Now, a lot of you, you don't care about money at all. You're just like, Pastor, I don't need to be rich. My needs are taken. Car works. House is good. I don't care about my kids. As long as the kids are good, I'm good. As long as I can eat, I don't need much and all that other good stuff. And 
here's the problem. It's because you don't have a biblical perspective of money. Because if you understood that not 10% is a test, but 100% is a test. The Bible says this in Luke chapter 16, verse 11. Therefore, if you have been faithful in unrighteous mammon, that's talking about the world systems of building wealth. By the way, the world systems of building wealth is not wrong or bad. There is nothing wrong with hustling. Here's what's wrong. When the hustle becomes your master. God says, no, make Jesus your Lord, but work the world's systems to build wealth. He said, if you've been unfaithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? I'm going to say something that's going to be heavy, and I'm going to give you a little pregnant pause. I'm going to stare into the camera, and then we'll keep preaching. You ready? You good? How you manage your money determines how much of your destiny God releases to you. Pregnant pause. <laughs> like, let's say God created you to impact thousands of people. He's not just going to trust you with thousands of people without first testing you. Do you know how he tests you? With money. To see if you can be faithful with something he does not care about. He's like, if you could be faithful with that, then go read on your own time. The guy who, who grew us from five talents to ten talents, you know what God gave him? Ten cities. And the guy who grew from four to from two to four, he gave him four cities. It was a test to see what he can trust you with. And so many of us were wondering, why am I not getting a break? Why am I not fulfilled on my job? Why are doors not opening to me? And God is saying, because you're mismanaging the test that I'm putting in your hand that unlocks your destiny. That's why Destiny Church, they'll tell you, our, our staff, we, we're a little crazy about how we manage the money here at Destiny Church. Like every single penny is accounted for. There's a report to you. It's on the website right now. Every year you can see how, to the penny how much came in and where every penny went. And it's not because I'm that concerned about finances. It's that I know God is watching how we manage the money to see how many souls he can trust us with. And it's the same thing for each and every one of us. Now, this message is going to turn up soon, but it gets worse before it gets better. Some of us, the reason why we're mismanaging our money is to support family members that will not lead their life according to biblical principles. gonna go there. Can we be real for a second? You're not struggling financially because you're down at the casino throwing your money away. You're not throwing your money away on scratch-offs or car payments that you can't afford. Can I be mean? I'm gonna run out the back door after this message. <laughs> you're throwing your money away, providing for family members that refuse to apply biblical principles to their lives. And you thought it not a big deal because you don't really care about money. You're like, I'll just work hard. I'll just make more money. It's no big deal. No, 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 no. You're not giving them money. You're giving them your destiny. Because God is looking to see how are you going to steward what he's placed in your hand. And hear me. I'm not saying let your family just starve in the streets. The Bible says it's biblical to take care of the widow and the orphan. It's our responsibility to take care of those that are in need. But there is a difference between being in need and being an enabler. 
and allowing people to avoid living according to biblical. It don't sound good, but somebody just say amen. Even if it's, even if it's through clenched teeth, just now. Some of you husbands have been waiting for me to say that for a while because it's your wife's family. So you just make sure that you, <laughs> or vice versa. <laughs> Come on now. That's called us to manage. So here's the plan. Can I give you a plan really quickly? Step number one to your plan, work really hard. There is nothing wrong with hard work. You know, there's this foolishness about, I'm going to try to retire when I'm 40. Why? You know, oh, I don't have time. You know why you want to retire when you're 40? Because you're working a job, not a destiny. Why are you so shady today, Pastor? I mean, just Work is not sinful. God put Adam to work before sin entered the world. Work is actually our impact here on earth, the way that we find fulfillment and transform people's lives around us. You shouldn't have to work for an income for the rest of your life, but you should find an impact to make here on earth. The Bible says if a man does not work, don't feed him. Ooh. Because there's something about our destiny that's connected to our vocation. Step one, work. Step two, budget. What does that mean? It means if you get paid on the 1st and 15th, on the 30th and the 14th, you should be sitting with a piece of paper and a pencil or the Every Dollar app, and you should be determining where are the other 90% going to go. Have a plan. Step number three, create margin. Somebody say create margin. What does that mean? Live on less than you make. Get out of debt. You see, when you don't understand that money prepares me for destiny, you have this mindset of as long as I can make the payments, I'm good. But when you realize that God's watching how I manage this, you understand that it's not just about making the payments, it's about having more than enough so that I can build wealth and live an inheritance to my children's children and that my grandkids don't have to start from scratch, but they can grab the baton from where I left it off and they can run their leg of the relay instead of having to start back at scratch where I had to start. That, that's the mindset, biblically, of generational wealth. He doesn't want everybody to start from scratch. Great, great, great granddad was supposed to start from scratch, and then you were supposed to do like second lead, third lead, fourth lead, but I digress. After you create margin by paying off your debt and living on less than you make, then you invest for the future. Proverbs 21, 20 says this, the wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Somebody say, preach the Bible. He told Joseph this, you're going to have seven fat years and seven lean years. If you save for the seven fat years, you'll live like a king in the seven lean years and people will come work for you. Statistically, your highest income years are between the ages of 45 and 55. So when your income is the highest, if you save the most instead of balling out the most, when you're 55 to 75, you're going to be at Destiny Church Cancun. <laughs> Pastor, when you, when you launch that West Palm Beach campus, I'm there. <laughs> but because we don't apply these principles to our lives, we're hustling when we should be enjoying. And then the last step, and we'll end this playing, the last step, so work hard, budget, 
pay off debt, invest for the future, live a great life. Like, enjoy your hard work. Pastor, what does that mean? Drive what you want to drive. Wear what you want to wear. Live where you want to live. Vacation where you want. Enjoy life. Most people fall in one or two extremes. You have the people that enjoy life on credit cards. Pastor, I got that enjoy life down. Pat, I'm living it up. No, you need some misery. You need to, you're living too much. Just go ahead and take a step back. You know, statistics show the average American spends 105% of their annual income. How do you spend more than you make? It's called American depressed. Your master's card. We go into debt more every single year. You're living too good. Now, that's only probably about 60% of the room. 40% of the room, and it's the ones that are saying amen, by the way, Baltimore. The ones that are saying amen right now, they're the tight ones. You better preach, Pat. These people spend it too much. I ain't bought a new pair of dungarees since 1987. <laughs> you still got your FUBU jeans and you rocking them like... <laughs> Somebody say, preach the Bible. Here's what Paul said. He said, I've learned to be abased, and I've learned to be in abundance. Some of us have only learned to be abased. Oh, we know how to rub two nickels together. I know how to live off a cup of noodles when that refund check didn't come in sophomore year. I've learned how to stretch a tank of gas out for three weeks. I've learned. Don't, don't stop at them red lights. <laughs> Pray for your path, he needs Jesus. But some of us, we've never learned to be in abundance. You feel uncomfortable driving a car that doesn't have all the lights on on the dashboard, like a Christmas tree. So we're going to prophesy to some people. Who, somebody just say, just live a little. Like God says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Work hard, budget, pay off debt, invest for the future, think about your grandkids, but live your life because you only get one. Last thing is this, write this down. They could come play. What's the order of God managing my finances? The first step is this, to put him first. The second step is this, to have a plan and to work it. But the third step is this, to give beyond yourself. Can I tell you when money gets fun? Money, money, money is good when you walk into a house that you live in and you're just like, I can't believe this is my life. That's fun, that's fun, that's fun. It gets fun when, when, when you walk into a store. I don't care if it's a car dealership, a clothing store, whatever your deal is. And the question is not how much does it cost because you don't care because you got it. It's, do you have my size? Does it come in my... That's fun. But that's not when life really begins. Can I tell you when your financial life begins? When other people's biggest prayer request is easy for you to answer. This financial thing actually becomes exhilarating 
When you're in a position where you can be the answer to prayer, and I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything like that, but someone's praying to God and you're like, God, I've got this. A car would transform somebody's life. God, I'm going to buy them a car. Now that last $20,000 of student loans is just hanging over their head like a noose. And God, I'll wipe that out. It gets fun when God can actually use you to be the answer. To, and that's what he wants. That's in Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, it says this. And God gives seed to the farmer and food to those who need to eat. God will also give you seed and he'll grow it. In your lives, he will increase the things you do that have his approval. God will make you rich. You pause. That tingle down your spine when I said rich in church is the spirit of mammon. God says, I want you to have more than you can spend in one lifetime. You see how uncomfortable that makes you feel? Because we've bought into a world's mindset. God says, I want to make you rich. Watch this. So that. And it's not so you could drive the car that you want and have the house because you could have that and not be rich, just payments. He said, no, no, I want you to be rich so that you can always be generous. Your generosity will produce thanksgiving to God because of us. Here's what God says. He said, I want you to be so loaded that you never see a need that you can't answer. So how rich I need to be is directly connected to how generous I am. Because the more generous I am, the more rich I need to be because the more I can be generous. But if I'm not that generous, then I don't need to be that rich. When I was 18, God started me on this journey of generosity. I was in church, testimony time. Somebody said, I need a car. Holy Spirit said, Stephen, give him your car. It was four weeks before college. I needed that car to drive back to church. I said, what every man of God would say. I said, the devil is a liar. I'm not giving him my car. I didn't have money to buy a car. Because I thought, I don't have more than enough. How can I be generous? God says, you'll have more than enough when you are generous. Because he gives seed to the sower, and then he multiplies it after you sow the seed. Long story short, I, I, I give the gentleman my car. I told God, I want a H2 Hummer, the ones with the wheels that keep on spinning after you stop, big old sub in the box. That was presumptuous faith. That wasn't faith. God says, I'm, I'm going to bless you, but not with a Hummer because you're going to college. You don't got no job. You can't put gas in that thing. <laughs> Three weeks later, my dad comes to me who owns his own company. and He said, hey, months ago, someone forgot to pay me. Side story, nobody ever forgets to pay my dad. <laughs> he said, somebody forgot to pay me. A check came in the mail. Here, you can have it. Go buy a car. I went out and bought a Lexus LS400, chrome rims, illegal tint, big old sub box in the back. Yo, I rolled in freshman year at College Park like, ah. Don't mix this up. I'm not saying to give to get because I gave the Lexus away too. Matter of fact, I've given multiple cars away and I was preaching at Destiny Church. I was telling this story probably about three years ago. And as I'm telling the story, you're laughing and all this other kind. I'm telling the story and I hear the Holy Spirit say, Stephen, I'm tired of hearing that story. You see, sometimes when I pause in my message, it's not for effect. It's because the Holy Spirit just rebuked me. He said, I'm tired of hearing that. I'm like, that's a good story, God. 
What 18-year-old know do you know that gave his car away? I mean, that's a good story. He says, Stephen, that's a 12-year-old story. Stop writing off a generosity a decade ago. It's just how my Holy Spirit talks to me. <laughs> he said, how have you trusted me recently? That's the year me and my wife gave away the down payment for the house that we were saving up for, and God has blessed us exponentially since. What are you trying to say? It's not like one act of generosity and you get off scotch-free for the rest of your life. Every year, God has a different test, and there's a different blessing on the other side. Luke 16.9. We're going to land this plane. Baltimore, are you still with me? Luke 16.9 says this, and I say to you, somebody say, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Make friends with money. So when you fail, they'll receive you into an everlasting home. When you read this through a carnal mindset, it says this, hey, use your money to be generous, so when you fall on bad times, people will look out for you. But when you look at this eyes in the spirit, here's what it's actually saying, and I don't have time to preach it, so I'm just going to give it to you. I can't dramatize it up. Y'all ready? Use your money to make friends of God. Because when you fail, it's talking about the ultimate failure, which is death. They will welcome you into the everlasting home. If it said home, it was talking about here on earth. But when it says everlasting home, there's only one everlasting home. That's heaven. Here's what he's saying. He said, use your money to win people to the kingdom of God. Because when you die and go to heaven, there's going to be people that are applauding your entrance and that are celebrating and are excited that you're making it because of your generosity they met Jesus. <laughs> Hear me, if you've ever given a penny to Destiny Church, there are going to be Christians from Peru and Argentina and China and Lagos, Nigeria and Sri Lanka that you gave to plant churches in that area. And they're going to say, I've never met you, but thank you for your generosity. There's going to be believers from Ashdod, Israel that says, you built the church building that I got saved in and that my life was transformed. There's going to be believers in PG County that says, because of your giving, I was able to find hope in Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful and thankful for your generosity. Goal number one, make it into heaven. Somebody say amen. amen. Goal number two, when I get there, I don't want Jesus to be the only one excited to see me. Can I just tell you, Stephen? I want to see the whole DMV talking about we're so glad that you're here. We wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for your generosity. This year alone, Destiny Church is on track, because of your giving, to give away more than $500,000 to the advancement of God's kingdom. Not to pay lights and bills. We've given it away. Y'all are giving a golf clap because you don't know the entire budget of the church. The first year of the church was $147,000. We've given away five times the annual budget of what the church has started. But this is just the beginning. Somebody say amen. Recap. 
you're not tithing, impact offering has nothing to do with you. Because you can't give over and above a tithe that you're not giving. So for some of you, step one is, I need to start tithing. God is asking us to give, but not give to the level of foolishness. You're going to hear me say something you've never heard a pastor say. Don't be giving your rent money in an offering. We don't want it. Pay your bills. Take care of your needs. Eat. That offering is God. What are you asking me to give over and above? And you work that step. Put God first. Manage your money well. Look for opportunities to be generous. You will be outrageously blessed to the point where your family's going to start getting uncomfortable. Because you're like, what is that on you? It's the favor of God. Hey, let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. God, that you've given us wisdom for every single area of our lives. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time and message personal to you. Hear me. God is asking from you the most valuable thing you own. And it is not your money. It's your heart. Some of us have given God our money, but we've never given him control of our lives. God says, I don't want your money, I want your heart. That's what I died on the cross for. If you're in here, if you're watching online, if you're in Baltimore, you know, honestly, Pastor, if I'd be honest with you, I've never given God control of my life. I've never asked him to be my Lord, my controller. That's where life begins. You may be scared to do it, but hear me, the God who created you, he can't mess your life up. He can only make it better. So wherever you are, if you say, I'm ready, I'm ready to give God my most prized possession, and that's me, can you pray this prayer with me? Matter of fact, every single person in this room watching online in Baltimore, pray this out of encouragement of those that are making the greatest decision ever. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for purchasing my life, for forgiving my sin with your blood shed on the cross. Today, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, my controller, my God, and my Savior. And use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate? Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.